Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Just before we jump into the episode, today's podcast is brought to you by my premium coaching program, Lean Gut Mind Method. In this busy world, women struggle to prioritize their health, and they constantly find themselves frustrated with a lack of results. Lean Gut Mind Method Coaching Service provides expertise, personalization, and a proven system of tools so that women find themselves empowered to live their best lives in a body that they choose. If you're a female who struggles with weight loss, emotional eating, and poor gut health, and you're ready to change once and for all, let me and my team help you. Lean Gutman Method is the last nutrition program you will ever need to invest in and the first program you will see lasting results from. Let me and my team show you the way. Apply for my premium one-on-one 12-week coaching program at www.leangutmindmethod.com. Welcome everyone to today's very special podcast episode on my birth story. I have my hubby here, David. Say hello, boo. Hey, everyone. <laughs> um, and David's going to be essentially interviewing me, asking me the listener questions that you guys have written in and asked us, but also contributing to the birth story along the way. So let me first start by saying, or start by saying that we apologize that Mia is now 10 weeks old and we're just getting to this birth podcast. Honestly, Oh, the last few months have been a whirlwind, haven't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think this is on my to-do list. I said to you, at two weeks, I want to do a birth, I want to do my birth story, a birth podcast. And then I said, again, at four weeks, and now here we are 10 weeks later. But anyway, let's just hope that we can both remember as many details as possible. So without further ado, let's jump into the story of how our beautiful little girl Mia came into the world. And David, can you kick us off with listener question number one? Uh, yeah, no problem. This question is just about what you did before the birth to prepare for it. Yeah, so I... And David, you read a couple of books too. So I read uh, a book on water births. I read another book on hypnobirthing and I read another book on labor skills, which I highly, highly recommend. That one's, I think it's Juju Sorden's labor skills um, for an unmedicated birth. So I read a couple of different books. I listened to the Australian Birth uh, Stories podcast. Every time I went walking, I was at the gym and I'd always say to David, listen to this, listen to this. But you thought it was a bit weird listening to birth story podcasts at the Mm. gym, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I didn't mind it, but the guests they bring on are really sort of the extreme cases, so. Yeah, and I must say towards the end, I actually, I said to you, they were starting to make me feel quite emotional and you suggested that I actually stop stop listening to them, which I did. I think I listened to them perhaps up to about maybe 35 or 36 weeks and a lot of them are, as you said, David, quite the extreme. So a lot of them were, you know, ended up in emergency situations and they just really were, you know, the calm, natural, unmedicated water birth that I was really hoping for. So I did, I found them incredibly valuable for the first couple of, uh, you know, trimesters, but you know, up until about 35 weeks, I did stop listening. Um, I also watched a hell of a lot of labor and birth vlogs on YouTube. David, you didn't love these so much. You were very <laughs> weirded out by watching other women give birth. And probably, you know, I think a lot of males would be, that's fair. Um, but I watched a hell of a lot of them. Didn't do every night before we went to bed. Um, I watched some sort of birth vlog or, um, or labor video on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. I studied science. I majored in development of biology. So, I mean, I'm pretty across... The, uh, the birth process. I didn't really need to see the 
the YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> well, other women as well. And then the other thing we did, which we both absolutely love and we highly recommend, was a hypnobirthing course. So we did a two-day course in Brisbane and I just found that, I found it amazing. And I know that, David, you came out of that saying that you just learned so much from that as well. And every aspect of birth was covered and we just felt so informed by the end of that two-day um, hypnobirthing course, didn't we? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was good. Um, yeah, I found what they covered was very good. And they came up, they, they actually had a lot of uh, useful tips and tricks um, and a and useful checklist that they prepare for um, the uh, the birth partners, which um, came in handy. Um, or, well, I mean, ca- would have come in handy more if we went down that road, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, and I think the biggest thing for David was I we, we talked both about what our biggest fear was, and mine was really around birth and tearing. Um, and then David's biggest fear was really about seeing me in pain but not knowing what to do from it. So I think from a male perspective, David, would you recommend the hypnobirthing course to other partners and other males? Yeah, I mean, it was one of the few courses is we did so I don't really have anything to compare it against but I think it was useful and I think um for for guys who just want a crash course in what to expect um from the birth and delivery process it was really useful all right so uh, we'll move on to listener question number two and uh this question is how did you feel towards the end of the pregnancy in the final few weeks <laughs> how did I feel huge heavy uncomfortable I did not feel good from a physical perspective I just I had such a big baby and my tummy was so big I just I felt huge but mentally I actually felt great didn't I, I felt really strong I felt like you know I'd, I've totally got this I've done so much research I felt so empowered mentally I felt great physically not so great <laughs> so I think around week 37 my belly dropped. I had a lot of Braxton Hicks um, and I started to get a little bit of, I went and got some acupuncture, didn't I? And I had my first Mm. stretch and sweep, I think close to 39 weeks. Um, And I was sort of, my cervix was really nice and soft and one centimeter dilated from about 39 weeks. And so I was getting a lot of Braxton Hicks. They weren't necessarily painful, but just a lot of tightenings and consistently like for, you know, every three to five minutes for, you know, hours on on end. So I was getting a whole lot of Braxton Hicks for about 38 weeks. Um, And honestly, my OB, David, we went for a checkup. We were on weekly checkouts by 37 weeks. We had one at 37 weeks, one at 38, one at 39. I'll button for a second sorry i'll just preface this by saying that our due date was the 22nd of uh, december um and we weren't really keen on a christmas baby so we were trying everything we could uh to coax her out beforehand but in the end she, she didn't come until the 27th <laughs> yeah so that was the reason for the stretch and sweep generally um they would let you go you know sort of past 40 weeks before they sort of thought about that but i sort of i think i begged my ob for it didn't i david mm. <laughs> Anyway, so that was sort of how I was feeling. We'll go into more of that when we cover the birth story, but that was sort of how I was feeling in the final few weeks. Physically, you're not too bad, just quite uncomfortable. Um, And then I lost bits of my mucus plug from about 39 weeks as well. So not too bad. I was still moving. We were walking every day. Um, Definitely my mobility had slowed down a lot. I actually went to the gym and did my general sort of weight space workouts up until about 35 weeks. And from then, um, I sort of felt like my pelvis just felt a little bit sort of unstable. I was just a little bit, um, there was just such a big belly it was actually really hard to work out so David and I were just doing small works small walks in the morning and um, small walks um, in the afternoon as well so probably averaging maybe six seven thousand steps a day um, knowing that I have a dust job so I don't get much throughout the day Um, and really just walking was our main form of my main form of exercise for the last probably um, month and a bit Um, so yeah that's how I was sort of feeling in the in the weeks leading up into birth into the weeks leading up into Christmas (laughs) by the end of it you you know when your partner's over it (laughs) and Lee was over it (laughs) 
<laughs> from 38 onwards, I think she was, yeah, we were really sort of said, it's time to come out, baby. Literally every morning I'd wake up almost disappointed, didn't I? <laughs> I was like, why am I not in labor? I just had this vision of, you know, from seeing so many movies and birth blogs that like women generally tend to go into labor during the night. So every morning I'd literally wake up from, I think about 38, 38 and a half weeks. And I was almost, I was so emotional by this point. I think all the hormones and I was saying to David every morning, why aren't I in labor? I'm so upset. <laughs> I guess that brings us to our next listener question, which is, did you go into labor naturally or did you get induced? Yeah. So I went into labor naturally at 40 plus five. So we actually did have a planned induction, didn't we, David, at 41 Mm. plus three. So as David said, our due date was the 22nd of December. Christmas was the 25th. We were super keen to have her out before Christmas. Um, And then New Year's was the 31st. So we had an induction planned on the 31st um, and that's 41 plus three. So that's quite over um, generally my due date. I already had quite a big baby. So my OB really wasn't keen to let me go past 41 plus three. I really had to sort of push to get let even past 41 weeks. Um, and he also was going on holidays for, I think, two weeks after that. So that was sort of the the get out baby now if you haven't you know been evicted since then. So we had a planned induction, um, but uh, thankfully I went into labor naturally at 40 plus five. We had a few dates in the lead up. So the 15th was my granddad's birthday. So we're hoping for the 15th and that didn't come around. And the 17th was Lee's birthday. So we're hoping for the 17th. Well, 17th of May, but so we we're hoping yeah. she'd be a 17th of December baby. Yeah. And then we were gunning for the 21st, was it? Because it would have been 20, 21, 12, 21. 21. Yeah, yeah, we really wanted the 21st of December. So. <laughs> <laughs> I remember at, what was it, like 6 p.m. on the 21st of December, I said to David, I was so upset because I was like, she's not going to come now because I knew that first-time mums had labours that were sort of, on average, at least sort of eight hours. So it got to about, you know, early early afternoon, nighttime that day and I said, oh, she's not going to be born on the 21st. And I, again, I was very emotional about that. <laughs> yeah. The moral of the story is there's not a lot you can do. Um, to influence it without <laughs> we tried medical intervention. everything, literally every trick, evidence based and non evidence based. We literally tried everything to get that baby out, didn't we, David? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so moving on to listener question number four um, Did your birth go to plan? And um, I guess I can summarize this by saying no, but you can elaborate on that. <laughs> well, I think I said, we said from very early on, look, we have an idea of what an ideal, or what our sort of dream birth would look like. But honestly, the, the goal at the end of the day is to have a happy and healthy baby. So from that perspective, yes, the birth went to plan. We had a happy, healthy baby. It went to plan. I, in my dream situation, wanted a natural, non-medicated, intervention-free water birth, which I just got the total opposite of that. But we're both just so grateful that Mia is here and that she is healthy. And I guess we will go into why I didn't get my water birth or my intervention-free birth um, in the next question, which is all about our birth story, isn't it? Mm, That's right. So we'll jump straight into the next question, which is listener question number five. Tell us your birth story. Okay, so... Her due date was the 22nd, which was, what day was that? I think it was a Wednesday. Wednesday, yeah. yeah. 22nd, um, it was New Year's, uh, Christmas Eve on the Friday, Christmas Day on the Saturday, Boxing Day on the Sunday. So her due date came and went, um, you know, loads of Braxton Hicks for hours on air, not really painful at all. Um, And then, you know, due date came and went, um, woke up the next day, still nothing. And then we were doing every trick in the book to like will her out. And then I think on the 24th, we were just like, like I was even too afraid to move. I was like, do not come out. Do not come out. Shut it down. 
we were like, we were like, don't do anything, don't do anything, don't do anything. Um, and then I'd lost bits of my mucus plug um, the week leading up to it. Um, and then I was having mostly painful Braxton, Braxton Hicks, um, you know, days leading up into it. What really kicked things off was Christmas Day. So uh, normally on Christmas Day, David, I'm the one, you can attest to this, between, you know, both families, I like to, you know, get some steps up, get moving, help prepare the food, help serve everyone, be like the hostess with the mostest. But this Christmas Day, literally David put me in a corner and he was like, do not move, I will do everything. So I literally was just sitting around and we did Christmas um, morning breakfast with David's family. Then we went over to my family for Christmas lunch and we just finished up a late Christmas lunch and it was about sort of 2.30, 3 o'clock. And I remember everyone was standing up sort of washing in the kitchen. I was sitting on the couch um, just looking after my baby niece and I remember saying to David, oh, that one, like that one really hurt because I thought I just had sort of Braxton Hicks leading up into it. And because they were mostly pain painless. I think the change for me was it actually started to to really hurt the first sort of contraction or two I got. And I had this like dull sort of like throbbing pain in my pelvis or like the very bottom of my uterus. So that was 3 p.m. Christmas day. So that was when um, contractions really kicked off. And I think I just looked at David and I was like, we need to get home. Um, and I think we just went straight home after that, didn't we? We went to family dinner. And then you were trying to sort of get through the dinner without... That's right. I was sort of just like breathing through the dinner. Yeah. So I would say they were maybe like a three or a four out of 10. Yeah. I've got a pretty high pain, pain threshold. So I'd say maybe a three or four out of 10. I wasn't really noticing them. I wasn't, you know, I was sort of chewing my food. And then every time I got a contraction, I'd just kind of like take a breath and just kind of try to focus on it. So it, was, it wasn't too bad. They started at 3 p.m. By 9 p.m. that night, um, I said to David, I really need to start actually focusing on this. So we we're watching a bit of TV and I was just sort of standing up and like rocking or bouncing on my yoga ball and just sort of focusing on my breath. They're about maybe a four or five out of 10. And then I remember David saying to me, let's go to bed and just try to get some rest. Cause we, we both knew first time labors, like they go on forever. We, we know that we've, we've been well prepared for that. And I think we tried to go to bed, didn't we? And then I remember I was just lying there, but each time I had a contraction, it was actually too painful to lie down. And so I'd jump up and I'd sort of like rock leaning forward onto the side of the bed. Mm. And I think David fell asleep for maybe about an hour and I just sort of did that. And then I felt a bit bad. I was kind of annoying him because every time I got a contraction, I'd jump out of bed. Um, and then it got to about, I looked, I wrote it down on my phone, 12.45 a.m. So just after midnight on Christmas Day mm. um, and the contraction was getting a little bit more intense. So I woke David up and asked him to put my TENS machine on. So do you want to explain to our listeners at home what the TENS machine is? Uh, yeah, so it's just a little box and it connects up to two sticky pads. Oh, sorry, four sticky pads. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go on around your sort of mid-back on either side of your spine and then um, just, above your, just above your bum on either side of your spine. And essentially, um, it runs electric current through the pads, mild electric current to cause a mild sort of pain. I mean, painful I never do it on myself. It's like slightly painful. Is that right? You, you can adjust the level. So it starts yeah. off, it honestly just feels like a little bit of a tingling sensation. Yeah. And then the more you increase it as the contractions get more intense, um, it... it yeah, it's quite painful. I remember I went to a class to learn how to use it yeah. at 37 weeks. And I remember I think I put it on, she said, turn it up until it becomes, you know, a little bit uncomfortable. And I think I got up to about sort of six or seven on the machine. And I was like, oh, that kind of hurts. And I remember we took it off. We just did it on our wrists at the time. Yeah. And I think when we started, I had it, I started my contractions when I first put it on. I think I was about level 12, wasn't I? Yeah, yeah. 
and when I, I think was something like 20 or something. Oh, I was it? well yeah, into yeah. the 20s by the time we <laughs> I'd finished using it. Um, but yeah, we put the TENS machine on um, just before 1 a.m. that morning um, and I was bouncing on my yoga ball. We had all the lights off. We were just trying, I was just working on my hypno breathing um, and just trying to stay as calm and relaxed as possible. So at that time, the contractions were, David was um, timing them for me. That was his job. He was timing them and he was counting down the time between them. Um, and so every time we got a contraction, we knew that on average they would last about sort of 60 seconds. Mm. So um, what were you doing for me between then? You were sort of saying. Look, this is in the middle of the night like because we, we didn't really get any sleep that night. We sort of got up and we're walking around and we're both exhausted and you were bouncing on your Swiss ball. I was just sort of trying to massage your um, neck and I mean, it's all about distraction at the end of the day and trying to distract you from the pain. And I mean, at that stage too, I was sort of, I was in full panic mode getting all the um You were trying back. to pack the car and I was yeah. like, calm down, we've got hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were trying to sort of do the different um, techniques, the distraction techniques um, from the hypnobirthing. So we had um, the little sort of massage, uh, you can get them from Kmart, these little balls, um, hand, hand massages. And I was massaging Lee's back with that. Um, we had sort of little uh, head massage comb thingies. We had mm-hmm. some um, stress balls. Mm-hmm. Lou was gripping on the stress balls. And uh, the yoga ball. Yeah. Um, and we just did all those techniques. As David said, it was just trying to manage. It was like the, th- you know, 60 seconds of pain in the contractions. It was just so David would sort of count me down. And by the time we got to the peak of the contraction, around 30, 40 seconds, he'd say to me, okay, it's starting to ease. It's starting to ease. Hang on. You've got this. Like I said to him, you basically need to be my personal trainer during this. And he was. Mm-hmm. He was He was excellent. And I've come from a, you know, a, a big exercise sort of background. So I'm used to coaches and I'm used to trainers sort of pushing me in that way. And I knew that from the hypnobirthing class, that was what was going to work really well for me was having almost like a coach or a trainer being like, come on, you've got this. You're nearly there. 10 more seconds or 20 more seconds. And that actually worked really well for me, didn't it? Yeah. We had that, what's that app called? That contraction timer. Uh, uh, surge timer, I think. Surge timer. Yeah, that's yeah, I think that's you, good. You do have to pay. I think there is a slight cost for that, but 100% hands down, it was worth it. We we used that a lot and it was really good. And it also had hypno, uh, hypnobirthing sort of tracks built into that very calming sort of meditative tracks you could use as well. Um, and so we did that all night. Um, the contractions were anywhere between four to 10 minutes. Um the next day, December the 26th, Boxing Day, we went into hospital around 7 a.m. Um, we knew that our OB had said to us, come when you're getting about two to three contractions every 10 minutes. So we were probably only getting about one to two contractions every 10 minutes. But because it'd been like we hadn't had any sleep that night, we'd been up all night. I think we were just really excited as well. Mm. And I said to David, I just want to know that I'm like, I'm progressing. I mean, I just want to know that this is like, this is going somewhere, right? Because I felt like the contractions were sort of as painful as they had been the whole time, sort of around like a seven out of 10, not more painful than that, but not like less painful. So I just kind of wanted to know that we were progressing. Um, So we went into hospital and we got checked. Um, And what did they tell us? the first time. So the first time we yeah. went in, it was about seven, eight o'clock in the morning yeah. on Boxing Day. Yeah, I guess the issue was from our weekly OB checkups, we kind of thought we were really sort of on track for a, quite a quick labour because uh, how did the OB describe it? He said, you're completely effaced, mm-hmm. um, the cervix mm-hmm. was ripe, um, you're two centimetres dilated a week before. So we thought this baby, and the baby was right down, head right down, engaged, 
pretty much ready to go. So we thought we'd, like the first time we'd go into hospital, they'd basically say, yeah, go to yeah, the like, suite. Yeah, like four, five, six centimeters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were like, okay, this is great. And the last thing we wanted was like, I read this article the week before about this lady that gave birth um, on the bike path on the way to the Mater Hospital. Um, and for anyone that lives in Brisbane, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. And that w- David was like, my biggest fear is like having to pull this baby out on the side of the road. Yeah. And I promised him that wouldn't happen. So we were like, all right, we're going to go maybe a little bit yeah. sooner just in case. Um, and yeah, so we got to the hospital. Yeah, so yeah, it was a 7 day, seven a.m. on Boxing Day. So Lee had been having contractions for like 15 hours. Oh, more painful contractions since 9 p.m. So oh, okay. that so was only about 10 hours, hours, 10 hours that time. Yeah. yeah, so we actually thought, okay, this is probably, even though the contractions weren't super regular, it's probably a good time to go in. And, yeah, we got in, uh, they did a cervical exam on you and you were only two centimetres at that stage. And so basically what that meant was that I hadn't dilated at all because I was about one and a half to two centimetres at my last OB check a couple of days before that. So um, they were basically just like your contractions aren't regular enough yet. Um, you're still only getting sort of between one and three every 10 minutes um, and they were sort of about seven to 10 minutes apart, weren't they? Whereas yeah, they wanted right. them to be about two to three minutes apart. So they basically said go home, relax, um, um, try and get some sleep and come back when it, when it becomes more regular. Take some Panadol. And I was like, <laughs> Panadol, <laughs> that's really funny, um, which we definitely didn't do because it wouldn't have done anything. Yeah. <laughs> so then we went back home, um, labored the rest of the day. It was still sort of on and off, pretty irregular, still really intense. I would say um, like eight, nine out of ten in, in the, the height of the contraction, um, but still went home, went to focus on my deep breathing, still couldn't sleep, like the contractions were still, um, you know, the minute I did try to lie down, but the minute I sort of like – felt like I was just about to fall asleep. I'd have another contraction. I have to jump back out of bed. It was honestly too painful to lie down. I'd like get onto my yoga ball or I'd rock um, leaning down onto the bed. Um, And then it got to, this is boxing day. So it got to about 7.30 that night. And I just said to David, this is so intense. Like I can't even, like I'm not even really managing this. We'd been up for Mm. close to like a day. We hadn't slept in the night before. before. So we'd been up for a day and a half. Um, And I just said to David, I just need to know that this is going somewhere. So part of my labor strategy. I actually didn't want them to do internal checks on me. I didn't want to know. Um, That was what I thought I wanted. And then once we got into hospital, I was like, Mm. you just need to tell me, like, I just need to know that this is, that this is going somewhere. Um, And unfortunately, again, we went back to the hospital. So boxing day, um, at about 7.30, 8 o'clock that night yeah. um, and they did the same internal and they said that, again, I'm still only two centimetres. Um, the contractions, they were way more painful at that point. I would say they were like a 9 or a 10 out of 10 um, and I was still saying to them, like, they offered me different types types of pain relief, morphine, epidural and I said, um, no, I don't want to. I would really, really like a non-medicated birth um, but I did accept um, one panadine fort and a Valium so just to try and relax uh, me a little bit. Or temazepam. Um, yeah, just to try and relax me a bit, but honestly, that did absolutely nothing to the. I think you got about an hour's no, I didn't broken sleep. At all. sleep. Yeah. I think you sort of tried to sleep for about an hour, and then yeah, a few hours later, we're pretty much back to where we were the night before. Yeah, super super intense. Yeah. Um, so then, um, midnight ticked over. Um, the next day was December the twenty seventh. Yep. Early hours of the morning. Um, we had been awake for basically two days straight, hadn't slept. Um, mm. or been awake for two and a half days, hadn't slept in two nights. Um, um, it got to about 4 a.m. in the morning. Um, I was having one to two exceptionally painful contractions every 10 minutes. Um, so you can imagine it's very hard to sleep when you're having a really painful contraction every 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, and I just said to David, I'm just, I'm shattered. I'm exhausted. I can't do this. I looked at him and he was like falling asleep in between in between yeah. contractions as well. We've both been up for two and a half days. We were just exhausted. Um, I hadn't eaten anything. Had I? I think I had, the last meal I had was 
Christmas Day. I think I had a piece of toast on Christmas Day dinner, I think. Um, and then really I just had a couple of um, lollies and a few sips of Gatorade in between. And that was all. I think I pretty much ate for nearly two yeah. days as well, which wasn't ideal, but I just, I was in so much pain I couldn't eat. I think you that made me half a piece of peanut butter toast. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that morning or yeah, something. We didn't eat much. It's easy to, or easier to deal with pain when you are rested and aren't completely exhausted. But by that stage, yeah, you were just so exhausted. Yeah, and, and I just yeah. wanted to sit down. That was all I wanted to do. Like my legs were so sore and I had this huge belly. Like I was just so sore. All I wanted to do was sit down. But the only thing that helped manage the pain, even the slightest bit, um, was just rocking back and forth, leaning over the side of the bed, wasn't it? So mm, yeah. um, I think it got to December 24th at 4 a.m. and I just looked at David and David just looked at me and he was like, what do you want to do? And I said, just take me and I just need to, if they just tell me I'm past three centimeters, I know I can do this. And I know that then I was starting to get in my head, like mentally, I didn't feel anywhere near as strong. I was just exhausted. So we got in there, they did another check. I was still only two centimeters. And I think that that broke me, didn't it? I, I think I'd started crying then because I just thought, I actually don't know if I can do this anymore. Yeah. At that stage, they said it could be another sort of 12 hours, 24 hours. Like they said, it wasn't any time soon. They said for- We're still in like, yeah. was it pre-labor? Like yeah, we still yeah, haven't yeah. even reached active labor. What did they call it? It was- um, Prodromal labor. Prodr- was it prodromal labor or spurious labor? Spiriously. Anyway, we're not doctors, term- so yeah. definitely don't um, don't quote us on this. Yeah, I think it was spurious labor. I have to go fact check that. But yeah. um, spurious labor is an active labor because active labor is um, contractions. I think it's every three minutes, so one minute of contraction, two minute of break. Yeah. When your contractions are at that stage, that's when the cervix starts dilating. So that you need those the frequency of those contractions for the cervix to dilate. So Leanne was having full contractions. They were full. So I was experiencing the pain of active labor. Yeah. It just wasn't progressing anywhere. Mm. That was the hard part and mentally that was so hard for me to deal with. So by this time it was 7am, basically we'd been awake for two and a half days. We hadn't slept a wink since Christmas Eve. Um, We'd barely eaten much and um, I think we'd been awake. I'd been in labor for 40 hours and I'd say very painful labor for 34 hours. Um, And at this stage we basically had the discussion. Um, I, From my own research, I didn't want morphine and so I think the only option for me, they were saying the only option is to break your waters, to start an oxytocin drip and to get this labor, like get it kicking on, like get it moving basically. Um, and so when we went back and we got that third check and they said I was only two centimeters, they were asking me a little bit about my history and asking me if I'd ever had any sort of like surgery or anything on my uterus or anything like that, um, you know, from procedures like um, endometriosis or anything. And I said, no, I hadn't. But what I had had was a let's procedure. So I'd had um, in the past, in my early twenties, some um, cells on my cervix, which had come back. One had come back as high risk for cervical cancer. Then I had a repeat procedure and it had come back as normal. And then I had another one, which came back as inconclusive. So the um, gynecologist at the time had recommended that I just get those cells basically burnt off. It's called a let's procedure. Um, And so what the OB was thinking based on the fact that I was having, you could see how painful and how huge the contractions were on the monitor, but the fact that they just weren't regular enough, what they were thinking is that scar tissue was somehow impacting on the value to progress the labor. Do you remember what she said? Um... Not specifically, but I guess, yeah, if you've got scar tissue, it just means it's a, it's, it's a thicker tissue, it's harder to dilate. Yeah, and I remember she was saying to me, you can keep going for this for another, you know, 24 hours, another 48 hours, but the fact of the matter is, like, if you have some scar tissue there, you might end up with an emergency C-section anyway because the um, something to do with the labour just isn't able to progress. We didn't know that for sure, but the midwife and the OB yeah. sort of had that if the cervix, If the cervix wouldn't dilate no matter what, then it would have been C-section. Yeah, and so I just I remember just thinking in my head, 
head, you know what, like I, I really want, um, my plan was always to have a vaginal birth. And they sort of said to me, look, the options are you go home, you continue laboring. Um, it, you might not ever sort of progress because if you do have some scar tissue there, um, it might just be, you know, it is what it is and you're going to end up needing some sort of intervention anyway. And I think at that point I just, just mentally, I just broke. Like I was so strong. I didn't let anything get to me up until that point. I remember just thinking, well, if my body is, I know this is a terrible thought, but at the time I just thought, well, if my body's failed me this way, I can't progress. Um, well, you know, what's the point anyway? So I think I agreed at that time. And I definitely don't think that now, like I think my body is incredible. I think women's bodies are amazing for what they go through. I think all birth is wonderful, but I remember I was just so set on my natural water, you know, non-intervention water birth that I just felt I just, I honestly felt like I failed in that moment, I think, didn't I? Yeah, that was the most difficult thing. You could see how much you wanted to do it. You could stick to the birth plan and it was just, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the way things turned out. Like the main thing is me, it was born healthy and, and that's all that matters. But obviously you sort of had that birth plan in your head from day one and that's really what you wanted to do. And I mean, when you put your mind to something, you usually do it. So I'm <laughs> very that, stubborn. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a difficult aspect of it. But by the end of it, you'd been going for nearly two days with painful contractions. So And the midwife was so sweet. Yeah. Like I could tell she just wanted to be like, darling, get yeah. the epidural, but she never once yeah. pushed me did she? She was like, it's up to you. She was so lovely. I didn't want to see you in pain anymore. No, and so, you never yeah, said anything yeah. either. But I think I remember looking at you and said, I, I like, I like you waited for me to give you the green light. Like, I think, I think I want the epidural now. And you just looked at me and you're like, get the epidural. Let's get, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> So the options were they needed to progress the labor essentially um, because they were worried that Mia might starting get like might be starting to get distressed because um, the labor sort of wasn't progressing at all and I was in such pain and my blood pressure um, my actually my blood pressure was okay wasn't it, it was actually yeah, really low. They were, they, each time we went into PAC, which is pregnancy assessment center, so when when Lee says we went into hospital, we went into the pregnancy assessment center at Martin Mothers and they were great each time. You can go in there anytime during the day, uh, no matter what, and they they will check you out and they hooked Lee up to the fetal monitoring and made sure baby was okay each time. So at that stage, like they didn't have any concerns about baby per se, but they wanted to get... My blood pressure up. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember yeah. that. Um, Because I think I'd been in labour for so long, I hadn't slept and I hadn't really eaten anything. I'd drunk, my hydration was great, but I hadn't eaten very much compared to what I normally eat. My blood pressure was actually really, really low. So the plan from the OB and the midwife was um, to break my waters, to start an oxytocin drip, to get the labour progressing really quickly. Um, and also I opted for an epidemic just because I was so exhausted that I knew that um, I just needed a bit of sleep to give me some strength um, in order to um, basically be able to push effectively. So um, we got all that done, but apparently epidurals can um, drop your blood pressure. That's just a side effect of what they do. So before that, they gave me a couple of boluses saline. of saline yeah. with glucose in it, I think. So a little bit of sugar in the, in the hydration as well. Um, and that raised my blood pressure up enough. And then we got the epidural, they broke my waters and they started the hormone drip. And because I was hooked up to the monitor um and i must say the relief after the epidural holy crap yeah um, oh but the funniest story just before that i still had the tens machine on and i reckon i was pumping it up to what level 25 level yeah, 30 it was up it was so out. high and as the anesthesiologist came into the room the battery on the tens machine died and oh my god i just looked at david with the 
bit like the most fear in my eyes I've ever had. And I was like, get a battery. And there was like a spare one in the labor bag. And Dave was just like throwing stuff out of the labor bag, looking for the battery. And I had just one contraction without the TENS machine. Mm. And I remember saying to David, I don't even know if this is doing anything. And that one contraction I had to go through without the TENS machine on, oh my God, it was so, it was horrific. And I remember the doctor just looking at me being like, are you okay? Breathe, breathe. Um, and then we finally got the battery in the TENS machine, um, did a few more contractions, got the epidural put in. That wasn't too bad, was it? I didn't look at it at all. I've heard the needle is is huge. Um, so I didn't watch it all. Um, but the doctor, he yeah. was really good, wasn't he? Yeah, he was good. Um, he said it helped that you were tall. Yeah, so I had a bit more space between my spinal columns, I think. So he said it was actually quite an easy epidural to get in. Um, but I asked actually for it to be very light. So um, if you didn't know, you can actually request that. So I actually had, I wouldn't say I had feeling, but I actually had a little, I had a little bit of sensation down there, didn't I? Like I was actually able to like pull my pull my legs up to my knees um, and sort of, you know, I had a little bit, like I wasn't completely dead in my legs, put it mm. that way. So, you know, it was actually a little bit more of a lighter epidural and I could still feel the contractions at the top of my belly as well. It just, it took away all the pain from the bottom of my pelvis. And probably what I didn't mention as well, um, from about, I think the night, the second time we got sent home, the contractions, I would say, were like a 10 out of 10 pain at the peak of them because also it had started to go into my back. So we think that Mia had potentially turned a little bit and was more like posterior because I was having just excruciating back pain as well, um, as well as all the front sort of pelvic pain as well. So, um, and the other reason that the OB said, I think um, that she wasn't pressing down and initiating the labor on my cervix was because I think her head or her um chin was tilted a little bit. So she wasn't in the most optimal position, which meant that each time I had a contraction, her head wasn't completely pressing down on the cervix and initiating that labor to progress because her head was sort of, I think she had a chin tucked or something, didn't she? Yeah, anterior tilt. It didn't exactly go to plan. Mm. Anyway, we got the epidural and I managed to get a bit of a sleep. David had um, some breakfast. A lovely midwife ordered him a nice hot breakfast. I had a good sleep. Woke up, had um, I think some lemonade and some Gatorade and a killer python. Um, and then, yeah, I got checked about I think about 10.45 um, and she she was quite shocked. Hey, the midwife was like, oh, you're seven centimeters. This is excellent. Um, And she said the protocol at the hospital was she'll come back and she'll check me in another couple of hours, but just give her a yell if I need anything or if I felt any pressure. And honestly, it was like, 20 minutes after that, I said to David, I actually I actually feel quite a lot of pressure down there. And it was amazing because I did have the epidural in, but I think because it was quite light, I could feel a lot of pressure. And I said to David, I think you should get the nurse. Um, and she, the midwife came back and she checked me and she was like, oh, you're, t- you're 10 centimeters. Like you're ready to go. And that was, I think like, 20 minutes after she said I was seven centimeters. Mm. So she was quite shocked by that as were we. Um, and so they called the OBN and I started pushing. Um, and that went really well, didn't it? Uh, what, the pushing? Yeah. Like I think I pushed quite effectively oh, for yeah, somebody yeah, with yeah. an epidural. And I honestly, and that's what the midwife said to me. She said, um, you actually push really, really well for somebody with an epidural because you can't really mm. feel it. You don't know what you're doing. But I credit hypnobirthing for that because they actually teach you the skills and the techniques of pushing as well. And also the labor um, skills book that I read um, by Juju Saunden, I think, um, also had some really good um advice around pushing as well with that. So all was going really, really well. Originally the OB said, look, you're a first time mom, you're young, you fit, you're healthy. I'm happy for you to push for two hours. Um, and if she's not out in two hours, we're going to talk about, you know, potentially some intervention. So I thought I had a good long while to push, but I would say only about 20 minutes into pushing. Yeah, would it was you say? Really quick. Um, they obviously they had the uh, hooked up. They're monitoring baby's heart rate and Mia's heart rate started to drop um, and she started to get in distress. And so they basically said to mm. me, 
you have two chances if you can't get her out in the next two pushes, um, we're basically going to pull her out. Um, and her heart rate kept dropping. Um, she got into a lot of distress. It was it was pretty um, it was a bit traumatic, wasn't it? Yeah, because I mean, you hear the field monitoring the whole time, and the heart rate sort of sits around sort of one thirty, one forty, one fifty. And then it dropped down to sort of 70, 80. So, and then this yeah. buzz, like um, alarm started going off and the nurse hit this buzzer on the wall and all of these doctors and nurses started like came running in. And I remember just looking up and seeing one mm. doctor and she was holding like the oxygen tank. Yeah. And I remember I just looked at David and like half of me just wanted to break down and the other half of me was like, you need to get this baby it out now. It was a resus team. I called the pediatrician it was a resus and, team. and they had the resus team. And that was terrifying. Case, yeah. I, still, I get I – get, um, goosebumps thinking about that now it was terrifying at the time um and then basically they just said to me she's not coming out we need to get her out now and i said to them so i said i do not want an episiotomy i do not want i um, do not come near me with forceps unless it's like absolutely absolutely medically um necessary and i remember the ob just looked me dead in the eye and she said i need to get this baby out now and yeah. i just said we, david and i just said do whatever you need to do um and they vacuumed her out um and she basically came straight out didn't she yeah um, yeah that's right I I didn't have an episiotomy, but I did end up with a grade two tear from Mia's shoulders. And I honestly just think it was from just the force and the quickness yeah. and how they just basically ripped her out. I think um, it was a second pull. I think I think the um, OB said it was two pulls. And normally it's what, four Her head came up in the first pull and then we pushed and they, they sucked her out with the second one. So yeah. um, not the ideal birth that we had planned, but thankfully Mia was okay. She got checked over. Um, she came out pretty pretty purple, didn't yeah, she, the poor yeah. thing. But she, um, she pinked up quite quickly. I think her APGAR score was down a little bit when she first came out, but – Within five minutes or ten minutes, I think she was back to the the full scores. And the APGAR mm. score for anyone listening who doesn't know is they measure um, what do they measure? Just like the baby's skin color, the the oxygen. The there's a couple of different things that go into that, and they measure it when they're born. I think at five minutes and at ten minutes as well. So you obviously want that score as as high. I think it's as high as you can get. So yeah, you want it to be tens. I think yeah. That's she nice. came yeah. back to yeah. um, she came out eight normal normal within ten minutes. I think so. That was good. And then um. They were able to put her on my chest. We asked for delayed um, cord clamping, which is really nice because the pediatrician and the resus team checked her over, but they actually left her mm. on me and they were just turning her over and um, and doing all they had to do while she was still on me, which is really, really nice. Um, and we requested for her cord to stay connected at that time until they were finished with all the checks. Obviously, if something was wrong and she was in huge distress, we said, you know, cut it, get her out of here, do what you need to do. Um, but she wasn't too bad and they were able to leave yeah. her on us, which we really appreciated. She was a big so, baby, 4.2 um, kilos. She was a big baby, 4.26 kilos, <laughs> oh, I think. Um, so, yeah, big baby. Um, and, yeah, so I think I'm somewhat fortunate to only have a grade 2 tear, which is good, particularly at the speed and the force that she was sort of <laughs> ripped out. And I honestly do think that I, I I don't believe I would have um, had a tear if I had my um, sort of water birth that I had planned, if I'd been standing up to push and if we had just been given that sort of time to push. But it is what it is. Things didn't quite go to plan, but she was um, she was okay in the end and I was okay in the end. And I think that's all that really matters at the end of the day. So yeah, I think that's that's our birth story. It was a bit traumatic. It was long. It was exhausting. Hats off to any mum who's done any form of labour, especially if you've been in labour for multiple days. Um, it's just exhausting. And I think it was just the fatigue that really got to me at the end of the day. The fatigue sort of weakened my mindset. And once I sort of even considered the possibility of um, you know augmenting the labour and getting things going and an epidural, then I it was really hard to sort of 
come back from that and talk myself out of that. But I think, I honestly don't think, even if I went for another whole day in labor, I honestly don't think that my body would have, would have got there in the end. I just, it just, it just needed a little bit of help. So it is what it is. And that's, um, that's our birth story. Yeah. And the team at the Mother Mothers was great. Like we didn't have our OB, um, that we'd been through the, the pregnancy with on the day because it was Christmas and I think it was the weekend. It's, oh no, sorry. It was Monday, wasn't it? Anyway, um, we, we, we had the on-call OB and she was lovely she um, was great yeah, yeah the midwives and, were they were lovely um yeah shout out to the midwives at mother mothers brisbane mm. amazing um especially the midwife that we had um gay marie was it yeah that was right yeah rock star absolutely like she was just so warm so compassionate just basically everything that you want in a midwife so if you have your baby at mother mothers brisbane and you get gay marie you are in very good hands <laughs> <laughs> i'm interrupting this podcast to bring you a healthy break Today's podcast is brought to you by my premium coaching program, Lean Gut Mind Method. In this busy world, women struggle to prioritize their health and they constantly find themselves frustrated with a lack of results. Lean Gut Mind Method coaching service provides expertise, personalization, and a proven system of tools so that women find themselves empowered to live their best lives in a body that they choose. If you're a female who struggles with weight loss, emotional eating, and poor gut health, and you're ready to change once and for all, let me and my team help you. Lean Gut Mind Method is the last nutrition program you will ever need to invest in and the first program you will see lasting results from. Let me and my team show you the way. Apply for my premium one-on-one 12-week coaching program at www.leangutmindmethod.com. Uh, all right. Well, we'll move on to listener question number six. Um, did you go public or private? And if you had another baby, would you do the same? Um, do you want to kick us off, David? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, we went private. Um, I've private only, through my mother's Brisbane? Yeah, only been private, so I, I can't compare it to public. But my experience at uh, the private hospital was great. Like I said, the PACS, I think PACS there for both public and private patients. Pregnancy no matter assessment what. Yeah. centre. So they were great in the lead up. Um, and then once we got up to the the ward, um, it was it was really good um, in terms of, you know, we obviously had our own room and our own bathroom. I had a little window seat David to sleep thing. on. <laughs> yeah. so, and the I mean, food. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the food. The if food, you guys had seen my stories yeah, yeah. post-birth, everybody was like, where are you? Like, what hospital yeah. is this? People from Canada, people from America, people from like Russia. Everybody was like, like, this food is incredible. Where is this? So, Mother Mother's Brisbane Private has actually won awards for its food service menu. So, the food was incredible. Yeah. but. I would say the biggest bonus for us going private was I had so much anxiety during the birth, didn't I, David, that Mm. the fact that we saw the OB every four weeks initially and then as things winded down, it was two weeks and then it was weekly from 37 weeks. Every time we saw him, we got uh, basically a scan and we got to see baby in like 3D. So that just – just that alone was worth its it, every cent to me because it just significantly reduced my anxiety. And we had so many appointments, like we were seeing yeah. him once a, a month, whereas I had friends who went public who I think only got appointments maybe like one at 12 weeks, one at 24 weeks, one at 30 weeks. And just me being, I guess, quite a highly anxious and stressed person, I would have just been freaking out. So um, we paid the extra for private health because for me and just I just needed the extra appointments. It's yeah. just something that I needed. And being a first-time mum, you didn't know what was normal, what was abnormal. Like you didn't know when to expect movements and when not to expect movements. So I had a lot of questions for the OB and he was so good. He answered all of them. So we went um, private. We would, would we do it again for other babies? Yeah, I think so. 
So with Mother Mothers, um, if there's space available, you can go to the Emporium Hotel over at South Bank um, for a portion of your stay. But we had the opportunity to do that but didn't just because there's so much support at the hospital. Yeah. So we had consults with midwives and lactation consultants. Um, we had pediatricians checking in. We had uh, OBs checking in. Um, all the follow-up care was there, which I'm, I think I think you do get. Uh, There's a midwife that stays at the hotel, so you can essentially get discharged um, from the hospital on day two or day three into a hotel for another one to two days if you if you want that option. But we just thought as first-time parents, and because Mia's birth was for us a little bit sort of like traumatic, we just wanted to be in the hospital just in case. Like she was fine, um, nothing went wrong, but I think we just felt more supported in the hospital, and we felt like we could ask, you know any questions that we wanted versus I think if we went to the hotel, we would have been a little bit more reserved and we we felt like we didn't kind of want to bother anybody mm. because there was one midwife looking after all the patients at the hotel. Um, and so I think we we just felt more comfortable staying yeah. at Mother Mother's. In the private hospital, we I think we had four nights there as private patients. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you have that support over sort of four or five days, whereas I think in the public you get sort of one or two nights, is that right? I think or? you get discharged on a day unless um, there's a need for mum or bub to stay in for a bit longer. Yeah. So we're not, we're definitely not against public. It's a great option for many people, but I think the biggest pull for us was just, um, I think with my anxiety, I just really, I just needed more regular visits than I think a lot of other people need. Mm. Okay, so on to question number seven. What were the first few weeks of parenthood like and what were some things you didn't expect? Uh, all right, David, I'll go first. Um I think the biggest thing for me, and we'll both agree, was the amount of pain I was in post-birth, A, from having a big baby and B, from having the stitches from the grade two tear. I can only imagine what women with three, you know, grade three and four tears feel. I was in significant pain for a couple of weeks afterwards. Um, we actually ended back up in pack on day five, which they say day five is one of the days where your hormones just do this huge drop. Um, most women just, you know, burst out in tears from the smallest things. And that was me. I was just extra, extra emotional that day. I was in significant pain from my stitches, from my breast engorgement, just, I just couldn't, I just remember looking at David, I woke up that morning and I just burst into tears and I was like, I need help. Um, and we went back and we talked about the options with the OB about stronger pain relief. Um, I'd been having Panadol and Nurofen, but very sort of sporadically, like maybe taking a paddle in the morning and two neurofen at night and it just wasn't cutting it at all. And the OB just said to me, you need to do it. Like you've just, you've had a huge baby. You've got stitches, like your body's gone through a lot. You need to do Panadol regularly every six hours. You need to do neurofen regularly every eight hours. This is not medical advice. You guys should absolutely check with your doctors as well. This is what my OB told me. I had to do that for what David six days straight yeah. until I finally felt like I was just able to get on top of the pain. I was honestly worried that I would become like addicted. I was worried that it was hurt baby. It would go through my breast milk, but the doctors assured me that it was fine. It was normal to feel that amount of pain and your body just needed time to recover and you needed to stay on top of the pain relief. So what I was doing was waiting till the pain got pretty significant and then taking something like Panadol and Nurofen. But they were saying to me, you can't wait until you need it because it's too late. You need to just take it every six hours, every eight hours, every six hours, every eight hours, and not even give yourself a break in between until you feel like you've had periods where you haven't had any pain for multiple hours, then you can sort of start to taper down. So I honestly, I had no... 
I just didn't expect to be in that amount of pain or need that amount of pain relief for so long. Like I've never taken, you know, more than two Panadol for a headache or a bit of a fever. More than, I guess, I think four in one day is the most I've like ever taken. And so to need it like, you know, four or five times a day for five, six days straight was, that was something that really shocked me. So for any new mums, I think just really stay on top of the pain relief. Um, whether or not you have a vagina birth or a C-section, I think um, every new mum is in pain um, from, from birth. So I think staying on top of the pain relief is a big thing. The other thing I didn't expect was the breast engorgement. Um, that was so, so incredibly painful. I almost had an oversupply of milk, so I had too much. So I got sort of um, a lot of night sweats, a lot of breast engorgement. I I honestly felt like I had fevers. I, I got David to check my temperature probably honestly, what, every three hours? Mm-hmm. I was like, check my temperature, check my temperature. I never had a fever, but I had the sweats and the chills, just like I felt like I had a fever. And we went back and we chatted to the midwife and she just said, that's that's normal. That's part of like your milk coming in, your body to adjusting to it. So I didn't have a fever, but I had all of the sensations that I did. So for me, I think that plus the the sort of period like bleeding for a couple of weeks after birth, I remember someone saying to me, buy as many packs of maxi pads as you can, or like maternity pads as you can, because I promise you, you won't believe the amount of like pads that you go through after birth. And she was right. I think they said, um, you know, pack two or three packets in your hospital bag. And I did. And I remember thinking, putting them in, there's no way I'm going to use these. But honestly, post-birth, like I think I was changing a pad every one to two hours or something, which I, again, did not expect at all. So they were some of the things that I did not expect after birth. And so the first few weeks were hard. Um, I think we expected that. Like I, nobody ever expects mm. it to be easy with a newborn. So we had the expectation that they were going to be hard. But I think I just thought that the baby would be hard. I didn't think that the whole birthing process would be physically hard for me. That was actually a big surprise for me, mm. which probably sounds silly, but I just, I guess I just never stopped to think about it. Yeah, I guess from my perspective, um, you can read a lot of books beforehand and I mean, you read you read more than one book, you're going to get more than one opinion. Every book has its own opinion, its own advice and they all seem to be slightly inconsistent. So, I, I guess my take home from it was just every baby is going to be different and individual and I guess you just learn on the go. Like with Mia, she slept pretty much all day and then would be up from sort of seven till midnight. She'd party all night. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like that was her awake time in the first few weeks. Yeah, we 1, 2 a.m. she'd yeah, still be. Couldn't figure it out um, and it's just the way she was and we just adapted and we figured out strategies to get her to bed um, so we could get some sleep. And yeah, like uh, it's just adapting to your baby. You work out what soothes them. Like Mia likes to be bounced for some reason, which like she's a 4.2, she started out as a 4.2 kilo baby. She's over 6 kilos she's now. 6.2 kilos now. Yeah. <laughs> and um, bouncing her is not easy, but like that's that's what she likes. So you just do it and that calms her down. Um, and we're building good bicep muscles in the meantime. Yeah, yeah. So every baby's individual. You just figure it out. There's no instruction manual for your baby. I wish there was, but <laughs> yeah, you, just, you adapt, you learn. And if you're reading all these books beforehand, I don't think you should sort of think that you've got this plan laid out in front of you and you got to follow it religiously because it's just not realistic. Uh, it's good to have an idea. It's good to have strategies, but at the end of the day, you just got to figure it out as you go. 
Yeah. And our sort of plan that we had for the first couple of weeks, like nothing really ever goes to plan, right? Mm. So I think you just got to adapt and be flexible. But I think we're sort of talking about listener question number eight was any advice to first time mm. parents. So I think we've lent into that a little bit more. Um, and I'd probably wrap up by saying um, my advice to first time parents is you're a team, but also learn to tag team. So if one of you is soothing the baby in the middle of the night, take the baby out into the other room so the other one can sleep. I think what David and I both tried to do in the first few weeks was we would both get up, we'd both soothe her, we'd both rock her, we'd both go out and like sort of like David would wake up and he'd change her, then he'd bring her into me and I'd feed her. And it just meant that we were both exhausted by the time, you know, it was like 7am the next morning, we'd both been up like most of the night, whereas one of us could have, you know, been sleeping and the other one could have been um, settling her or vice versa. So you're a team, but you also need to tag team. Um, and you will likely lose your temper at each other. We both did. Like you're so exhausted. Things aren't going right. There's a baby screaming at you. You'll lose your temper at each other. Um, no matter who your partner is, no matter how David's the calmest person in the world, but we both lost our tempers at each other at some point. So you just got to remember that um, you've just got to try and start each day afresh. Let you know, fresh. Let the the day before go. Don't bring up the past. You're both learning. You're both just doing the best that you can. Um, and just you know, remember that you're a team, but remember to tag team. And also remember that everybody's going to give you an opinion. Every single person has an opinion, but it's just that. It's just an opinion. What works for you is going to be so different than what works for somebody else or another couple. Mm, yeah, and I guess um, my my two cents on that is don't be afraid to accept help and free meals from other people. Like we are fortunate enough that we're renovating or rebuilding our house at the moment, so we're living with mum, and she was able to sort of help us out a lot um, in terms of cooking. So accepting sort of cooking and free meals from people is great because you don't have a lot of time to do that. Absolutely, yeah. And often a guy would just say to me, "Do you want me to hold the baby and you can go have a shower?" And part of me was like, you know, part of my brain, the perfectionist part, would be like, "No." I've got this. I can I can soothe my own baby. But the other part of me was like, yes, please have the baby. I just want a nice hot shower. So if anybody offers to help you, they genuinely want to help. Don't feel bad about it. Don't feel like you have to prove it to anyone that you can do it by yourself. Like accept as much help as you can. David and I definitely yeah. did that. Cooking, cleaning. Yeah. If someone offers to clean your house, take it. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> Even if someone just says, hey, can I go to the grocery store and pick you up a couple yeah. of things? Yeah. It is so hard to get a newborn yeah. into a car. I um, mean, the car seat and then the car seat out into the capsule just be like yes please please get me some veggies some milk tub of yogurt and some bananas and bring it over like just if somebody offers to help absolutely accept it um i think that's probably our biggest takeaway as much help as you can get if you're fortunate enough to have that um definitely try to accept it okay so listen to question number nine um how are you feeding me are you breastfeeding or using formula or both um so uh week 10 now and still exclusively breastfeeding and hope to exclusively breastfeed um, until she's ready to introduce solids for about maybe four to six months. Whenever she's ready, we'll introduce solids. And I really do hope to breastfeed um, at least until 12 months. So at the moment, we're doing a combination of um, boob feeding and also express breast milk. So from an early age, we knew that we wanted her to take a bottle. I started back at work um, after two weeks. I know that's crazy. Um, even saying it out loud just is still crazy, but I did that and I started back at work after two weeks. And so for us, Mia taking a bottle was really, really important. So I started expressing breast milk um, at least once a day. Um, we've got a few extra bags in the freezer and then there's always a bottle in the fridge. So if I'm ever on a work call or I'm doing a podcast or I'm doing something with a client, then David can give her the bottle. So Mia actually takes the bottle really well. We give her one bottle, what I'd say every 
at least every second day, if not yeah. once a day. Yeah, oh, every second day, I reckon. Yeah, One bottle every second day, and that works really well for her because we've been told by a lot of um, just friends and midwives that if you don't introduce the bottle early, then they won't take it, or if you give them too many bottles, then they'll start to refuse, refuse the breast. So um, the breastfeeding journey up until now has been barely challenging. I did get um, – she had a really poor shallow latch initially, um, which we've now corrected. I did get quite a few grazes on my nipples. That was very painful. I never had the sort of um, – completely bleeding nipples that some women experience, which just must be like the grazes on my nipples. They were painful enough. I can imagine just having the the raw bleeding nipples to be so excruciating. So I was fortunate enough that I didn't, they didn't get too, too badly damaged. We corrected the latch really quickly with help from um, a lactation consultant. So absolutely. If you feel like something isn't working, it shouldn't, I mean, breastfeeding, it was painful and it was painful up until about six weeks, but it shouldn't be excruciating. It's painful because, you know, the baby grabs the nipple, it, it sucks it, it pulls it to the back of its mouth. That is, especially initially, is painful. But as a lactation consultant said to me, it shouldn't be um, excruciating. You shouldn't be crying. It shouldn't be. It's a little bit toe curling to begin with, but as they sort of latch on properly and do a couple of sucks, then it sort of, the pain sort of goes away a little bit. So, the lactation consultant suggested a few different positions for me to try um, because I have quite a lot of milk. Um, I became very, very engorged. So for the first, I would say, two weeks, I used to hucker to pump off, to just take off about 20 mils of milk before Mia would latch on because I was honestly so engorged that Mia couldn't latch properly and that was what was causing damage to my nipples. So that settled down and my supply sort of settled down and regulated out after about four or five weeks. So um, yeah, the breastfeeding journey, it was challenging to begin with. Um, I had quite a lot of milk. So Mia would sort of cough and sputter and honestly like choke on it a little bit. So I've had to lean right back to feed her and that seems to um, be doing a lot better as well. Mm. It definitely gets better. You, you're a pro now. <laughs> definitely a lot easier. Yeah, so hang yeah, in there. It took yeah. me till about, I would say nine to 10 weeks to really feel like, okay, I think we're finally getting the hang of this. So yeah. if you're a new mum and you're listening, I mean, I've heard from a lot of my friends, they say, just wait till about eight weeks. Things get, things get better after about eight weeks. So accept as much help as you can. Um, and fingers crossed, it will absolutely get better, but it is really, really challenging for the first few months. Mm. Okay. So final question, question 10, um, are there any apps you'd recommend after birth? Yeah. So we use Huckleberry, don't we? That's where we mm -hmm. track all Mia's feeds, her sleeps, her um, nappies. Uh, really recommend that app. I had a lot of friends recommend that to me. So Huckleberry, we do all Mia's tracking in. Wonder Weeks is really good. It basically talks you through when your bub's going to have a leap. That one, I'm pretty sure costs money, but again, it's really, really worth the investment in that. Um, feed safe, if you'd like to have, you guys know me, I like to have occasionally a glass of wine on a special occasion. Um, so Feed Safe is an app that tells you when your breast milk is free of alcohol and the other one is mum to mum it's an australian breastfeeding association app that one's quite a good one as well so they're probably the four apps that we use regularly and would recommend so yeah i think that brings us to the end of the birth story podcast i hope that you guys enjoyed it or that you guys um found it useful if you guys have any questions let me know over instagram or um yeah send me send me an email and yeah be happy to help out and if you're expecting a little one anytime soon all the best it really is just such an incredible an incredible journey, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Well worth the wait. Definitely. <laughs>